Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Um, and that was um, Moss. 
So um, Mops is like mothers of preschoolers. I don't have a preschooler yet, but I'm officially now at the point where people start inviting me. That's also because Alders Day is trying to get me to, to send my kid to their preschool, so a lot of them are contacting me more recently. Um, and so I went to this thing called Mops, which happens, this one happens in the middle of the day on a weekday, which, like, that, I mean, it's, it, I don't know if they have them in the evenings. But I went, and one of the questions posed in this group, which I have a problem with fundamentally the question itself. Um, the question asked um, by the, the people in this group was, think ahead to 20 years from now, if you did every ounce of parenting right, what would be the sign of that in your child? So I was like, so I guess these are preschoolers like two to three years old. And uh, so like 22, they just graduated from college. And so what would be the sign of me having parented really well? And so people went around and shared their answers to this. And um, one person said that they like could live on their own, that they graduated from college and that they actually got an apartment and like weren't coming home after that. One person said that. One person said something like, um, like that they were successful and, but like with no details about that. And one person in the group, um, and I stuck this in my little pocket for today. <laughs> One person in the group said, I think, I think it's that they are able, even then, and know even then, to tithe money to the church. I said, I, I had never thought about that. <laughs> um, that's where we're going today. <laughs> Every time we talk about money, every time we talk about money in the church, everything we bring up about the subject of money in the church, I think of Flaubert who said, of all the winds that blow across love, the coldest is the conversation of money. At Kingstown, we spend a lot of time in our church talking about love. Like, we spend a lot of time living love. We tell you that God loves you, that God loves the world, that God loves people that the church might have said in other times, in other places, that God doesn't love. We preach about love, we practice love, and we sing about love when we're here. Those are the kind of songs that make our hearts sing, right? We ingest it, and it's... And then, usually, in November, but this time in August is when we're having this conversation. And for an entire month, so some of you might not show up for a month, that's possible. Um, we pause briefly to talk about money, normally in, in November. And it's like, it's like you can watch and feel that like cold wind blow across those embers of that conversation of love we've been talking about all the rest of the year, right? I see it in your faces. <laughs> Which is why it's always so interesting to me that Jesus insists on talking about money. Jesus is supposed to be God's love made flesh. And he continually, continually doesn't warm our hearts with ooey gooey topics of love. Jesus over and over again brings up that cold subject of money. And some of the gospel readings about money from Jesus, the one from, for next week, will be sweet. Some of the gospel readings are, are like the one next week will say, don't, you don't have to worry about a thing. Don't worry about 
the clothes you will wear and, and what you will eat. We love when Jesus tells us not to worry. But honestly, majority of them, majority of the scriptures about money from Jesus are not nearly that sweet. They're like this one, like that we read this morning, right? Did you hear it? Woo, Jesus. <laughs> A young man trying to figure out who he is and who he wants to be runs up to Jesus eagerly. A young man, maybe, maybe 25 years old, maybe 22, maybe the age of, um, of you know, my daughter at some point who will have done everything right in life because I did everything right, right? <laughs> runs up to Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to get in on what you're doing? What must I, I do to be a part of what you're doing, Jesus, to get in on this kingdom that you keep talking about over and over and over again? And the young man says to, to Jesus, I, I, I've got to be a part of it. I will do anything. And Jesus said, well, then do the commandments. Read the book. You know this. What are the commandments? But, but he says, which one? Which one, Lord? There are so many commandments that I must do. And, and Jesus says, well, you know them. I mean, you know, the, the, your, your mom and, and your dad, make sure you like them. And, you know, the, the don't steal and the don't lie. And, and, and then a smile comes across this man's face. Well, Jesus, that's great because I've done all these things. But then that smile turns a bit as he kind of thinks. And his brow furrows and I've done all these things, all these commandments, but I still don't feel, Jesus, like I'm where I'm supposed to be. I don't think any 22-year-old feels like they're where they're supposed to be. I feel like there's something missing, Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and says, because you haven't done everything. Sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. And you can feel that ice-cold wind blow across the subject of love, even though Jesus does make it really clear Jesus loves him, even the scripture made sure you knew. Jesus loves him, but that ice cold wind blows. I tell you what Jesus says to his disciples as the man walks away unwilling to do what Jesus asked. I tell you what, some people just can't save themselves. No colder wind blows across love than the conversation of money. And so why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus be so crass to bring up for this like 22-year-old guy who doesn't know what life even is and doesn't know what he wants and what he's, where he's supposed to be, why would Jesus bring up money on this conversation about where he wants to be? It's because money more than anything else in the world tells the truth about who we are. Money tells some of the best stories of humanity, right? We love those stories. We all know what it feels like to be, be proud of pulling our resources together as a community for something beautiful to come out of it, right? Like earthquakes and tsunamis and COVID relief and refugee relief and local tragedies. We have, we have a family friend who, who had a five-year-old who had a brain tumor and to just watch as the community, people I've never met, people we just extended and extended, watch the people rally around this child, the 5Ks to raise money, and so on. And, but money also tells some of the worst tales of humanity, too. It says the most about who we are. That, that's why we feel that cold wind blow, political payoffs, and church scandals, 
and for-profit prison industries and the list goes on all the way back down to those petty little stories about you and me and how we spend our money and and or get ourselves into debt and make stupid decisions those stories we'd rather not tell other people money more than anything else tells the truth about who we are and when money is laid at the feet of Jesus it becomes it can become a means of revelation for us and so today we are going to bust a few more myths together in this series called the church just wants my money we're going to bust some more myths about money and what the Bible says about it. We busted these myths last week. We busted a few of them. One, that the church just wants your money. And two, that this series is just about, really just down deep, a, a, a way to ask you for your money. Um, well, I tried to bust that myth. Y'all might still think that that's what I'm doing, but that's up to you. Um, today, I'd like to bust a few more myths about the Bible and money and what Jesus actually says about it. Specifically, the things like, like that woman in the mops class who says, if my, if my, my child tithe, that would be a sign of, of my success as a parent. Today I'd like to answer your questions about what the, I think I lost sound, did I? Battery's dead? Okay. Today I'd like to bust some myths about, um, I, I, it's okay, I think, I think we have sound here, it's fine, don't worry about that. Um, I would like to bust some myths about the, what the Bible says about money. That's not what we did last week, but now we're going to do this. Often churches really just dance around the subject and they never speak frankly or honestly about the topic of money and then every November comes around and it begins to sound like an NPR fall fun drive, right? Um, you know, they throw some things up on a screen and look if you enjoy the programming here, please give next year we need it. Ushers are standing by, right? The problem is when the body of Christ ends up with a completely diminished imagination theologically about money. Um, this is why people are fearful to come to church and to talk about money. And so we are going to give a theological perspective. I just thought this is a better way to do it. Why don't I just use this? Here's the other thing, though. I know that there's, there's also no one that I've ever met who doesn't actually want to know how to relate more faithfully to their money. I've never met a single person who doesn't want to know that. Everyone wants to talk about it, but they really, they don't want the church to talk about it, which for some reason doesn't make any sense. So whether you're strapped by debt or barely keeping up with your bills or you're comfortable and looking forward to the future wherever you are, you want to know how to use that money well. I know you do. I don't know anyone who doesn't. You all ask me in the Ask Me Anything series questions about tithing. And so, hey, Michelle, isn't it true? Isn't it true that tithing isn't actually in the Bible? That was one of them. Or, Michelle, isn't it, isn't it something, isn't tithing just something that the church made up later as it grew to pay for itself? That was another question I got. Hey, Michelle, isn't it true that Jesus never talked about tithing? Hey, Michelle, I really like how your church doesn't talk about money. <laughs> Why is that? 
I don't like that question. I don't like that. Um, that says more about my job, and I'm not good at it. <laughs> hey, Michelle, I really like how your church doesn't talk about money because it makes me really uncomfortable. Or, Michelle, I like how you make space for people who don't want to talk about money. Is there a reason behind that? I have heard all these things at some point in time. Well, today, we're going to talk about money. And to do this, let's start with a truth. Tithing is rooted in scripture. I know you wanted me to say something different. Tithing is rooted in scripture. And I know you don't like the word tithing. You've told me so. But I have to begin with that truth because... Because I'm like a biblical scholar first, and I can't say something that isn't true. And so tithing is rooted in scripture. It's from the Old Testament. So let me tell you how that worked out in the Old Testament. What, what, was, it, what was it about? It's rooted in, in Leviticus, and um, it's found in multiple other places in the Old Testament. Many various key characters in the Bible talk about their commitment to tithing as a part of demonstrating their faith as well. Here's the practice. Everyone who is a part of the nation of Israel, this covenantal community of Israel, practiced this thing called tithing. And the word meant tenth, which I know many of you know. And everyone who was a Jew would give 10% of their first fruits to the temple or to the synagogue. If you lived an agrarian life, for instance, you would give 10% of your fruit, of whatever your crop is. If you traded livestock for a living, you would give 10% of your livestock. If you were benefited with gold and silver, if you were that kind of person, you would give 10% of that. It was 10% of however your household economics were ordered. And the first 10% were pulled together in these households to care for the larger community and to build the kingdom of God on earth. That's the practice of tithing for the Israelites. Everyone's micro household giving to the macro household. It's a little bit like taxes. And it was called a tithe, 10%. And what did they do with the money? Well, if you read scripture, you'll see that God says that sometimes they were faithful with the money. And then other times God says sometimes they were not faithful with the money. And sometimes they were really, really bad stewards of the money. But what was supposed to be done with the money was to help those who spend their entire life in the temple. So it went to pay for the priest's life in the temple. It also cared for orphans and widows who were... The, the temple was responsible for caring for. No one else in the community would care for them. Other ministries of the synagogue and the creation around them, the, 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 um, the, often it went towards maintaining uh, their beautiful spaces and their courtyards in their community, and it cared for the infrastructure also as the church grew. It was this common communal purse, for instance, that the community of God used to build God's kingdom on earth, and it all came from this notion of tithing. The early Christians then picked this up, and they continued on with this for a little while. And so truth, tithing is rooted in scripture. I clarify that because I've got to be faithful to the biblical witness. I also clarify it because some of you that, for some of you, that might be 
the first step between who you are and who God is calling you to be. Some of you, that has been something you heard and believed and, and lived by for, since you were a, a child, and that is what you need to make God the subject of your lives to keep God at the beginning of your sentence. There are plenty of people who have attended church and were taught that all their lives. I also clarify this because I need to be honest. I have to be honest about it, about where I am on my giving journey. Chris and I are not currently tithing. Oh, that got quiet. <laughs> How does that feel? So when I graduated from college and was newly married, my aunt um, sat Chris and I down, I've told this story before, um, sat Chris and I down and said, I, I need to have a very difficult conversation with you and I feel that I'm the, uniquely the person to have this conversation with you. I feel like you should have this conversation now when you're like 22. You need to know, I recommend as you start making adult kind of money that you start giving to the church in whatever amount you can and start working your way towards 10% over time. That was a conversation my aunt had with us. We hated that she had that conversation with us. Chris thought it was such an imposition. How dare your aunt tell us what to do with our money? How dare her? She loves us though, she does. She's, and she's always been just the kind of person who will like push her way into your life, which all of us need one of those people in our lives that will push our, themselves in and say the thing nobody else will say. And so we actually started working towards that. From the time we were 22 and got our first teaching incomes, a two teaching household, and we could actually give 10% of our income to the church at that point in time, and we did. And then I sensed this call into ministry, and I went to this place called Duke, and I graduated from this place called Duke, and then I had these gigantic student loan payments, like huge, huge student loan payments. And then we moved to this place called Northern Virginia, and you put together Northern Virginia and this gigantic student loan payment and stupid decisions over time that like, you know, how many of you have made stupid decisions about money before? I hope so. Um, <laughs> you add all those things together and no, we stopped being able to make 10% work. We were giving about 8% of our income when we got here and then COVID hit and student loans were, were put on hold that was kind of cool. I mean, the benefit. Felt good to be able to have a break from that for a little while. Um, right up until the time we had to start paying for childcare. And now on the horizon is looming um, student loan payments coming back in September and, or January, whatever. And we won't be able to make 10% work. In fact, with the two of us together now, even with like Chris, a few raises, we give about six to seven percent of our income. It's just where we are in life right now. But it's not where we want to be. Like honestly, it's not where we want to be. For us, the intent up ahead is to be able to do that. And for me, it is um, a meaningful thing in my desire to make God the subject of my sentence. All right, 
So all those feelings about the tithing thing. You can take a second and breathe about it. <sighs> okay, myth. You've heard it said, Jesus wants my tithe, or Jesus needs my tithe, or Jesus expects me to give 10%. That is a myth. Jesus doesn't talk about tithing, ever. Except for one moment, actually, when Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for tithing their money, but their heart being all in the wrong place. Jesus does not talk about tithing. Ooh, yay! Thank you, Jesus. And why doesn't Jesus talk about tithing? Or why does the only time he talks about it, he rebuke tithers for the way they live their lives? Because tithing is not enough for Jesus. Jesus doesn't talk about tithing. But he also kind of does talk about tithing. <laughs> Remember what Jesus says in our gospel reading this morning. The Old Testament gives us this notion of tithing. But then we get to the New Testament and there is this kind of greedy Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to tithe. Jesus wants all of us. Jesus doesn't just skim 10% off the top of us. That's what Jesus is saying doesn't work. Jesus does not mean, doesn't want us to give 100% of our income. No, that would be stupid. But Jesus wants all of us. And it, it does mean that you begin to see everything in the light of your baptism, what if you saw everything in your life in the light of your baptism that claims all of you and washes over you and claims every ounce of you? What if you saw your apartment or your house or your, your rent payment or your mortgage payment as an offering, not to the bank, but to God? How might God use that space to further God's kingdom on earth? Could you build community? Could you host a common table? Could you create a space where our Kids on the Move program could meet regularly? How can your home be an offering before God? Jesus wants all of it. Same thing with your car. First, is your car right now good enough? Is it good enough? Does it invite you to live simply so that you can work to give and to steward your money in light of the God who in Jesus wants all of you? Or do you have a car that is much more than you need? With a, with a payment that you can't afford? How can you give that to God? What if it wasn't just a car payment? What if it was all your bills? What, what if all your bills weren't just a means to your own comfort, but a means to build and invest in the kingdom of God? And so truth, yes, the Bible does talk about tithing. Myth, Jesus doesn't talk about tithing, but Jesus asks for even more. Jesus isn't grubbing for your 10%. Jesus is grubbing for all of you. While Jesus doesn't talk about tithing and in fact doubles down, <laughs> I do think there is something that we, though, as Christians, I think the, there is a point. You know how we say sometimes we, in this church that there's parts of scripture that, that are not necessarily fact, but have truth in them. And so here's the truth behind the tithing piece for us. I think there is something that we can learn as Christians from the Jewish principle of tithing. And that's the way we think of generosity. I don't know if you knew this, but generosity was never meant to mean what it means today. 
Generosity for us right now is like the virtue of giving good things to others or whatever out of what we have, you know, giving a gift to a charity, um, giving, uh, giving money towards the courtyard project, being generous sometimes with your time, with your life. But generosity is really from this Latin word generosis, which was used to describe a person of noble birth. It never meant that to begin with. Up until about the 16th century when the word generous was used in English, it meant that a person was born into aristocracy. It described a person of noble lineage whose family was probably one of influence and wealth and it meant for the elite class of people who had special resources at their disposal. And that, <laughs> I wonder if that has to do with, with how we got to this idea of generosity being something that we will do when we become people of wealth. Instead, um, honestly, <laughs> Jesus never ever uses a word that remotely equates to generosity in the way we talk about it in the Bible. Every time that the word give is used, every time the word generous is used in English, the actual Greek word is steward. Jesus uses that in every single case. Jesus never uses the word generous. So the word we find in the Bible over and over again is this word steward. This call isn't to give a gift to another or to the church even. The call is always over and over and over again to become stewards of the people around us, which as we learned here, to become responsible for the people around us, to be stewards of, of the, the gifts we receive, the the to be stewards of the church, to be stewards of the kingdom, to be responsible any place we put our money, that it not just be a gift, but that it include a sense of responsibility for where we give our money. Stewards have, have broad discretionary powers over how an account is managed, how a household is run. That's why you all get to, to make votes about the well-being of this church. This is why if we don't meet, if we don't get to a point where we can you know, fund our full budget as the ministry allows right now, you all will be given the task to decide what's next if we don't meet that. Because you all are stewards, not just givers. And so how do we get to the place that we're supposed to be? What does Jesus mean when Jesus says, I'm grubbing after all of you? When every chance in scripture Jesus gets to tell us to give all of everything we have, Jesus is saying generosity is one thing. Stewardship is a whole other thing. Generosity is about kindness. Stewardship is about responsibility. And there goes that cold wind again, <laughs> blowing across love, because when it comes to the subject of money, Jesus never once calls us to be kind people, good people. Jesus always, over and over and over again, is asking that we be managers of the kingdom, that we care not about what, what 
what is offered for us in this time and place that we can receive, not about the children's ministry that our children get to participate in right now, but that we become carers and stewards of the children who will attend this ministry 15 years from now, that we become carers and stewards of the church that will exist 20 years from now, stewards of the kingdom at hand. And so I got to thinking again, if I sat in that mops room, (laughs) what my answer would have been when asked, what if I did everything right (laughs) as a parent, how would I want my my 22-year-old to be? What would that look like? I um, I think my answer now would be that that she understands all of her life with God at the beginning of her sentence so that there is nothing that she places herself in, no opportunity where she doesn't see it as a way to invest and steward and, and take responsibility for herself and others. That's an adult. <laughs> Would you pray with me? God, we, um, we really like when you say, hey, I think you'd be pretty good at managing my kingdom. We like that until we start to learn what it means. We really like the idea that there is this kingdom beyond the mess of this world. Until we realize that it's it's actually ours to build. And then we feel that cold wind of responsibility blow over. And you meet us in that. And that's when the wind gets a little bit warmer. And we sense that like you did for the the young man. (laughs) You loved him, and you love us. We sense your love, we sense that warmth blow into this, and we know that that this is not um, a way to be only towards the church and the way our relationship with money happens in the church, but it is, it should be. It's a call for everything we put our money in to be. To be, to be evaluated on whether we are stewarding this life well. This life that you've given us, the kingdom that you have tasked us with. And so, God, we together here believe today that there there are people ahead who will, for the very first time, hear of a church, hear from a church that says that God loves them And that what we do now, the decisions we make now, affect that happening. And we say thank you, God, for equipping us and giving us that task to steward that person's faith. Thank you, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You keep giving, keep providing. I have all that I need. You are all that I need. I keep praying, you keep moving. I keep praising, you keep proving. 